0: Sometimes you're like ricker ricker ricker, <laughs> and sometimes you're like shouldn't blanks.
1: <laughs> hey, everybody! Welcome to the show. It's
0: catching foxes. Whoopsie! <laughs> uh, everyone should really be thankful for Jason. Yes. Uh, if it weren't for him, like we probably just show just would have stopped. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. good job, Jason. Well done. Me and Gomer got into a fight. No, I'm just kidding. That's that, that's not true at all. Well done. So Luke, I'm drinking So Gomer, what are you drinking? Oh, cool. I'm drinking
1: a hard seltzer lemonade and I am dead inside. This is I'm done. I'm with drinking
0: this. a beer from Lock 27 Brew Inc., I don't know if you can see that or not. Okay. Uh it's called It's Always Sunny in Dayton. It is <laughs> um it is a citrus pale ale with five percent alcohol. So I enjoy that. Oh well, alcohol by volume. Mm.
1: It's always sunny in Dayton? Yeah, it's always sunny in Dayton. That is hilarious. Didn't you know that? That is hilarious. No, Dayton is it's a dark and dingy Dayton. place. Dayton is like Seattle, but without the fun. Like, that's what I imagine Dayton <laughs> as.
0: <laughs> Dayton is real boring. Like, Dayton's got to do something or Dayton's going to go away. As long as it has Dave Chappelle, Dayton will remain. That's true. Man, I am so dead inside because, like, he d- he's been doing these, po- these pop-up concerts yeah, and uh, Michelle Wolf has like living with with his family and him apparently, and um, during during course Michelle Wolf, she's the one that everyone got angry at because she said she had an abortion and hadn't been for that it would have. No, I don't know exactly, but she said she's she's a comedian who said something about abortion oh, okay. and people got angry, uh, which I can understand. I'm gonna Google and, her um, while you
1: talk, Michelle Wolf.
0: So Dave, um, Dave Chappelle has started doing these little pop up shows around town, but you basically have to somehow hear about them going on sale and they go in like two to three hours. And I think Aaron, even though she could like give birth at any time would probably want to go to that. Cause we both love Dave, Dave Chappelle so much. I know who she is. Have you is. watched okay. eight minutes and 46 seconds? What's that? Have you watched eight minutes and I have you, his uh, standup no, special eight minutes uh-huh. and it's good. It's real. it's, I mean, it's not funny, but, uh, but he has, like, a cadence to the way that he talks. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. He almost sounds, like, preacher-esque
1: sometimes when he's doing – like, he knows – Yeah. Like, the cadence is the exact thing. He knows how to hit the beats of,
0: it's, of yeah. drawing. It's really interesting, in. too, because, like, when you watch a lot of his older stand-up, you see him, like – um, like, you just see that he's just he – like, he's slowly gotten to this point. Of where he can just like he can just now he just talks with the, like he's you can see that like he has like figured it out yep. and he is a master craftsman it's really really cool
1: do you know this is an unfortunate parallel but do you know who was really good at that that made it funny just talking was Bill Cosby I remember he did a live sh- yeah, he yeah, did a live yeah. show at Holland Hall which is a private school in Tulsa and PBS the local PBS got permission to to air it. And it was incredible. And I remember just sitting there watching it, and I'm, like, doubled over crying. And he's just telling stories about algebra. But the way that he – and he just sat – at one point, he just pulls out a chair, sits down, and just talks. And you're just immediately laughing hysterically. It, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. it's I mean, like, a, a lot of the really good – I mean, even with um, someone like John Mulaney – I was uh, watching part of his old his old stand but yeah. I think I think that John Mulaney is my current favorite, just because my point of view and his point of view are just so close. <laughs> you know, he's I mean, he's our age, he's Catholic. Um, it just he's you know, it's just yeah 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 yeah. But I mean, um, I'll I will take him over Jim Gaffigan any day because I See, just I'm, I'm the opposite.
1: I. I think he's funny. I've I've Do you remember us talking about John Mulaney in the past and I was like, "No." Oh, we talked about him and I was like, "I just don't I listened to two stand-ups and I laughed like three times. Like two full really? specials." And you that's exactly what you said. You were like, "That is unbelievable." And I get it. it really- I get it because people love him. Now, when I heard him do the monologue for SNL, I uh I really liked his monologues. And I don't know what it was, because that was one of the episodes in the Summer of Scandal where he was like, my mother wonders if my Jewish
0: girlfriend is (laughs) going to convert (laughs) to Roman Catholicism. Let me say that again, Roman Catholicism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm out of a job. Um, But, yeah, it was. I mean, he's. Sorry. No, I was just saying, like, I I felt like through his SNL hosting standup, I got a little bit more of his personality better. And so I bet you if I were to go back and listen to some of his stand-up, I would like it more. I don't know if I was in a bad mood or what, but I was like, all of these jokes are very predictable. That's how I felt. Whereas with Jim Gaffigan, some of the jokes I feel are pretty predictable, but all of
0: his, I was like, okay, here we go. I don't know. I'm not, I, well, you know, and that's like the thing that I like about stand about stand-up is there. Like, you can actually um, – I was actually – I uh, spoke with our our buddy Greg about this. You can, like, not laugh and go, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like, like you can see, yeah. like, you can – and I don't mean for it to – be clinical but you can see it like math like how it's there's like oh i see what they're doing this this is going that, is going, that blah, 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 you know and i think with what i like about about john mulaney is like yes i i could I understand why you think it is predictable but i like the way that he says it yeah you know because like when i watch his older stuff it's not um i think his i think stuff that he does on the now especially two years ago or so was so like bam 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 it was just i mean everything was just great i mean he was just batting a thousand where his stuff from 10 years ago he's batting about um probably like i'd say 300 which is still pretty good but only one out of every like two to three jokes are like hilarious you know um, but I like seeing where he's going and how he gets. And it's just, I think also for me, it's just I, I, his point of view. I completely understand. I mean, he's us. He's a suburban white guy who was born in 1982. <laughs> God bless him. You know, God so just, bless I know him. I just mean like, <laughs> like he's just like I just like his. Yeah. I like I get that. Like I get everything you're talking about. And um, you know, his thing about on um, the Back to the Future. That's it's a. You're right. It's a very predictable bit but it's a thing that we've all like thought in our head and he's just articulated. what was his back to the future and i like that like um he he has a joke where he's like doc brown who's either a mother of 40 or like 80 we're still not sure (laughs) um and and he goes and we're gonna say that a white guy uh, that a white guy wrote johnny be good so we're gonna take that away from them (laughs) just like like um and then it's like I mean it's just this whole thing about feeling like inadequate, his um, his anxiety about things, yeah. how he was an alcoholic when he was young, and how he's, he has this whole bit about not being good at sports. And he like um, uh, heard a video, sorry, he heard a talk where where I'm the person go. Sports keeps kids off the streets from doing alcohol and drugs. And he goes, there are other things <laughs> that I can do besides this. Goes, so I got really good at that. I just I just I like it. But I I think but but my point is like. Like, like yeah. I never liked Brian Regan. I understand why he's funny. I totally understand why he's why he's funny. I was just I'm never that into it. And so in college, when you were all like, I'm sucking at his teeth, I, I was, was just kind of like I was hard. This isn't that funny, everyone. The, yes. But I get it.
1: I get it. I was sucking at his teeth so hard there was chafing.
0: Do you remember when you were convinced that he went to Franciscan? No, 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 no. no, Yeah, No, 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 no. You were convinced and you were like he went to a liberal arts high college in 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 Ohio in a small liberal Do you know how many colleges? Do you know how many very small liberal arts schools are in Ohio? And he's Catholic and his parents,
1: my friends, excuse me, my friends parents who are his first cousins thought that he went to Franciscan. And it wasn't until we went to their live show that we asked him because we had backstage passes. And he was like, Francis, it's Steubenville. I have got to get out there. I have heard so many students love my stuff. Wait. It, it, so that was true? You guys actually met him yes. backstage? It was incredible. He was, At one point, he's doing his new jokes, and people start shouting out. Uh, what What was one of his things that uh, people loved? Uh, Goosen. Goosen. And moosen. You know, and all that stuff. And he goes, huh, you're requesting jokes that you already know? Well, this is a first for me, but all right. So my teacher, and he goes through the whole routine and we're all dying laughing. He goes, okay, I I guess this is my life now. (laughs) And He's like, I'll just, I'll just relive (laughs) the same jokes over and over again. And then he did this one thing that I thought was so funny. He goes, and this is one of the new jokes. He said, uh, in the Catholic Church, he's like, I'm Catholic. In the Catholic Church, you have to do two miracles in order to be canonized as saint. Two miracles. He's like, huh? Eh. And then he holds his fingers up and he crosses his eyes. And you know, when you were a little kid, you if you cross your eyes or whatever, you can see a third finger floating where your two fingers overlap, like in the the double vision or whatever. He, was, he just sat there doing it, and he was like, I got it. There's a finger float. But it was so funny because immediately it reminded me of like fifth grade. And I was like, that was so funny when you did that. He goes, oh, I didn't want to offend any Catholics. Are are you Catholic? And I was like, you could say I'm Catholic.
0: (laughs) You hit the jackpot, mofo. (laughs) I'm going to be a youth minister at a place that thinks that's a good career choice. (laughs) I went to a place (laughs) that costs more money per year in college than what I make in my career that they set me up for. Do you want to know how many lives are going to be destroyed by our student life culture? (laughs) (laughs) Seven. No, it's actually not that bad. Seven. It's like seven people. I'm you know, I'm okay with
1: um. Did you like, watch Brian Regan on uh on uh the, the stand up thing, Jerry Seinfeld thing? The coffees, comedians, no. cars, coffee.
0: Um a little bit. Aaron got real into that, so she would have it on while she Aaron, uh, Aaron likes to have t- TV shows on while she is working. That's half the reason why I've watched um, Mad Men probably thirty times. Um <laughs> and but that was a show that Aaron likes to have on in the background while she, while she does That work. was one so him
1: and Jerry Seinfeld came up with the same
0: joke took it in
1: different directions but it was one of those instances where comedians can comedians actually invent the same material often uh, and then people accuse them of stealing, and then stealing happens often, and that was a big deal. With um, it sure does, yeah.
0: uh, Carlos Menz- Carlos Mencia. But there's that w- Amy, Sh- Amy Schumer. Uh, what's your name? Amy Schumer. Yeah, Amy the Schumer. fascinating thing
1: with Amy Schumer was she did a stand up that touched upon very similar things as someone else. But then her show, they like what? What was the deal? They found out that she was sending staff writers to comedy clubs just to steal it for her show. Was that what the accusation was? I-
0: I don't remember. I think that's what but, it was. Well, I mean, we're not in comedy. I just know that within I'm a comedy. It's something you take very almost seriously, so you don't ever want to like yeah. accuse a person if you don't really, really know. Because it's like it's a it's it's a big big. Well, deal. it was
1: a big deal on YouTube because there's a whole. Hate... But I,
0: know, I, I know that she's one of them. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole
1: I hate Amy Schumer crowd, and so they'll yeah. go through and show like comedians saying jokes, and then her show
0: having those jokes on there. She did it. A guy named anthony jeselnik i think who i actually kind of like he i he, he seemed a little bit i i want i could be wrong i want to say he like leaned he had a conservative background but he's not i this could be the totally the totally wrong guy but um and he still kind of held like a um a couple of like those views and it comes out a little bit where you can like see him trying to be like i know this isn't unpopular but this is what i think or like it's or like this is where i'm this is like my background so, do you know who I really like? The prop- one of my one of my favorite bits ever is uh, Bo Burnham, who was like nineteen. <laughs> yeah, I know Bo Burnham, and he wrote the song called "Art Is Dead," and it just so reminded me of like all of us because it's just him saying like, uh, like to seem complicated, but they're not complicated." I could tell you very easily. Have you ever been to a party with a bunch of children and uh, like I'm one of the children? won't stop screaming Screaming
2: because he's just a little attention attractor when he grows up to be a comic or actor he'll be rewarded for never maturing for never understanding or learning that every day be about him there's other people you selfish asshole i must be psychotic i must be demented to think that i'm worthy of all this attention of all of this money you worked really hard for i slept in late while you worked at the drugstore my drugs attention i am an addict but i get paid to indulge in my habit you go for you
1: go from that straight into the recent uh the recent celebrity thing so first was the covid imagine video that gal gadot set up gal gadot
0: yeah that yeah and then you yeah, go into yeah. the
1: black lives matter video what was what was it called where they all did you hear about this it was just like imagine yeah, all these
0: and, and like and like they're like all like oh gosh oh i need to think hard about
1: this i it, no like i take responsibility that's what it was and it was supposed to be this thing of, you know, and it's like You're just mad the camera's not on you. (laughs) You're just mad. Well, yeah, the camera's not on you.
0: I think one of the hard points of one of the one of the tough things about entertainment, I guess, is just kind of this is this is somewhat true, and and, you know, with really anything, you have to want to be, you have to want the attention on on you. Yeah, like you have to be okay with having you know twenty thousand people. I mean, that's if you're huge, but, you know, or, like, being a place where I'm going to, you know... Be you got to be okay, this, okay with 10,000 downloads a week. I mean, I'm just saying, you got to be okay <laughs> whatever, with Whatever, whatever. I mean, on, like, a bad week. But um, <laughs> we get it. I'm Catholic stuff. You get, like, 10 times that amount. Okay. A day. 10 to 15 times. Ugh. You know, I'll monetize it. What's wrong with yeah. you? But um, it, it, there's this, just this weird, like... Um, I don't know. It's just yeah, it's, I don't know where I'm going with this, but well, I mean the habits of personality. It's like, it's like what people say.
1: Yeah, it's like what people say about politicians, right? Like the type of person you don't want running your country is the type of person who wants to be a politician. Yeah, not a, a statesman, po- a politician, not a diplomat, but a politician. They're
0: like the worst. <laughs> and there are some um, famous, you know, I, I don't know any, I'm a, any like famous people, but there are some. I'm trying of any famous people. Like, I don't know anyone who's famous, but um, like y- you can just like hear them on interviews. It's 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 always hard. Of like they seem very interesting, like like they can just oh like they have some really interesting points. They have some very interesting, but it's always I think tends to be those like B list people who who are interesting, and it's like the A list ones who can't be or they aren't. Yeah. You know, like, I, I remember hearing Tom Cruise on the Nerdist pod, podcast just be like, I like, like, I, I like movies. And they were like, oh, great. Like, what? Like, I'm kind of moving. He goes, all movies. I love all movies. <laughs> and it's like, so you watch everything, huh? <laughs> you just watch everything. Like, no, no, More,
1: more protein slurry, please. All movies. Yeah, he's a robot. He's a robot. Do you think, man, scientific. do you think he is a literal <laughs> robot? He doesn't age.
0: I, I, I um, used, you know, I had a, I was boycotting Tom Cruise because of Scientology. And then he came out with that thing where the like every day was like the same day. I was like, oh, that seems cool. What
1: I want, <laughs> oh, the day, day after tomorrow
0: I, or whatever. Yeah. And then I heard that the new A Mission Impossible was really good. I was like, oh, that seems cool. So I went and saw that. <laughs> Look, he's, he's in uh, Dubai climbing on the tower, and he did his own stunts. This is great. I love this guy. But I used to like Tom Cruise. Like I liked. I mean, when Tom Cruise is either staring at you or running, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: Favorite favorite Tom Cruise movie. All-time
0: Tom Cruise favorite movie. Uh, it's a very close between A Few Good Men and Vanilla Sky. I will have to go with A Few Good Men though. I love it. It's so 90s. It's Alan Sorkin. I think it's Alan Sorkin is his name. I love his stuff. Yeah. He writes very fast. I used his to dialogue is very fast I
1: used to watch A Few Good Men probably every two weeks in my house when I lived in Oklahoma. I love A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men and The Firm. Those were two movies that were always on at my house growing up.
0: I love them. That film, uh, The Firm scarred me because when he had the affair, I was like, why?
1: Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, was that the one with – that's the one with Holly
1: Hunter. And there's a line in that movie, whenever I hear the word lawyers, I remind of the scene where that white-haired albino hitman guy is like, why are you – and he's holding a gun. And he goes – Why are you asking questions about dead
0: lawyers? Now, this is going to turn out badly for you, but we can make it relatively painless. Why are you asking questions about dead lawyers? What dead lawyers?
1: And I say that, I must have said that in my head 20 times this week because I had to deal with some lawyers.
0: (laughs) Why are you asking questions about dead <laughs> Isn't it like we're such a generation, like raised by media, yeah. that when we're in serious situations, we have movie lines <laughs> or different things that come to our head, yeah. uh, Your Honor. <laughs> uh, before I
1: answer this question, can I say something real quick? I can. Okay. You can't handle the truth. I've always wanted to say that. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> I want the truth. You need Get me you order on you over the that. code red. <laughs> you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall.
0: <laughs> you Lieutenant Weinberg. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Dude, have you heard about uh, uh, um, Michael Keaton? No. What? Dude, prepare to freak out. Okay. <laughs> what could Michael Keaton
1: do that would freak you out? Reprise the role of either Batman or Beetlejuice? Hell yes, Batman. What? what are you talking about? Yeah,
0: so get this. Apparently, <laughs> this, is the, this is like the big rumor right, right now. I, I, uh, for some reason, I decided to go onto, onto io9 today. I don't know why. <laughs> and then I found this. I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm lost in io9. <laughs> what, what is this, 2011? <laughs> um, uh, he, it's going to be so Ben Affleck's not coming back as the Batman. And when they do do the Flash movie, somehow he's gonna be in it as an older. Now he's not a Batman. He will be an older, um, older Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Wayne. Okay, but it's the Bruce Wayne from the Tim Burton Batman movies. That is hysterical and weird. I I'm so here for. It I feel so because I love the first. I think I thought that was so. I I didn't understand it as a kid, and then and then and then. And um, when I watched it again, I was like, "What a bold move to choose Michael Keaton as Batman!" Yeah, and, and to it's just I'm, I'm I I hope this happens. I am thrilled that this is. A, I think Michael Keaton's a great actor. Oh yeah, he's phenomenal. So I'm I'm just like, I hope they can if they can if they can pull that off. My gosh, that's weird. My so gosh. the the dude that was the the the
1: vampire, he is the young Batman. Batman. They're almost doing a Batman Year Zero, right? I have no idea. I didn't really read a lot of the yeah, details. It's uh, it's the guy. It's the guy. Oh, shit. Now, what's his name? Vampire. No, you're thinking of
0: oh, Robert Pattinson. Yes. That's, that's like a different thing. That, I don't know what that... I'm trying to avoid um, anything on that because I just want to go and enjoy it. Oh. Well, all they've shown... He's a good actor, too. Yeah. He's oh, a very he is, good And
1: I didn't realize he's in the fourth Harry Potter movie, which I just finished the fourth book, so me and my wife watched the movie, and he is Cedric uh, Diggory. Cedric Diggory. Diggory, yeah. And, um, but
0: he, my boy,
1: (laughs) oh, that part was so sad. I'm not going to lie. I teared up up when I read it in the book and I teared up when I saw it in the movie.
0: It's horrible. Yeah. It's it's really, when he
1: died in the book, wait, let me finish a thought about Batman. The only thing they've shown is a slow pan of his bat costume and it's like stitched together and it has a sold off pistols for his bat symbol. Have you seen that, Luke?
0: No, I, I get I'm avoiding a lot okay, of Okay, so
1: the whole idea around this Batman character...
0: <laughs> so let me No, it's fine. I, I'm just kidding. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. This is a non-spoiler thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, the main fine.
1: source material they're drawing it from is a fairly recent comic called Batman Year Zero. Heard of it. And so it kind of is like what they did with Batman Begins where, you know, he's wearing like spelunking gear and a yeah, face mask. Yeah. But they upgraded a little bit more than that. It's not just that, but it's... Um, yeah, it looks super interesting. And he has like a bat motorcycle. That's all I know. Someone took a spy photo. But I did not hear that. Who's about your people.
0: favorite Batman?
1: Um you know <sighs> hmm. We talked about this a little bit before, but it'd have to be Adam West. <laughs> Something about a man in underwear. <laughs> Something about a man in underwear. I think you're thinking of uh Dick, also known
0: as Robin. Oh man, that's awesome. I think mine's probably Christian Bale, but very close is Michael Keaton. Just because yeah. I remember being in kindergarten seeing Batman at yeah. a drive-in and just being like this is like this that was my first experience yeah. of a blockbuster. Yeah. That or Ghostbusters 2, whichever one came out first. <laughs> that was my first like I was like I you know have a memory of this being a cultural event and I went solid in the theater,
1: you're you're a kindergartner and you're looking around at everyone. You're like, I'm a part of the zeitgeist. The
0: zeitgeist. <laughs> well, uh, when I was, I went with my buddy like Billy, uh with my buddy like Billy and his family to the drive-in to go to go see Batman. And then I found when my my parents got me it for Christmas, and I and I found it in their closet. I was like, Why do they have Batman in here? <laughs> and I was like, Why do you have Batman? And they were like, What? Like, what? oh, it's a, it's a gift for blah blah blah. And I was like, Oh Oh, well, I won. And, and then and then when I um got it, they're like, Yeah, we we I' talked to Santa and he was like, Oh, Luke I want that too, I guess. <laughs> so I was like, Oh great <laughs> This Santa, I didn't know he was so amendable. <laughs> um Emily's gonna be mad if I if I really don't um bring this up. I tell you that when I found out that the Santa wasn't real, I cried. Oh <laughs> how old are you? 21, 22? Uh, I was in third grade.
1: Yeah. So I think I probably cried too. I remember no my neighbors broke the news to me and they thought it was hilarious that I still believed in Santa Claus. <laughs> and I was like in first grade.
2: Oh, that's too grade. young.
1: That's too young. But the the other thing was, you know, once you get I would hate to be a second or third grade teacher because you have to deal with that the, kids, the kids. Yeah. The kids who have older brothers and sisters finding out and revealing it and all that stuff.
0: All the diehard Catholics were like, there's, there's like, I'm um, no Santa, you know? And I was like, what?
1: Yeah, that's a new thing.
0: Yeah, I don't like, I, I just wish, I don't know. I'm like, it's okay to have cultural things where it's like, this is a Christian tradition. Let us not forget that Harry Potter too celebrates
1: Christmas and has Santa in his books. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, Isn't that funny? Oh, look, it's Father Christmas. Damn. Okay. How did you like it? The the,
0: the book, the especially the end of the book. Uh, Gobble of Fire, yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, the books are great. I'm loving it. I like that this book is a lot bigger than the previous book. They're all increasing in size now from this point on. Um, I have I have zero problems with the writing, and I I've, I've been telling everyone this. I said uh, Luke told me pay attention to foreshadowing, and I reminded Luke if I've never read it, how do I pay attention to foreshadowing until I at the end? But Uh, And I said this on the show a couple weeks ago. Like, that's absolutely true. And this is what I've realized about this woman. So I have probably read in the last year a hundred fiction books that are like kind of – what would you call it? Like bubblegum fiction, you know? So just like super easy reads. Here is the interesting thing that I've noticed. Um, The author that I interviewed that's going to be a B-side soon, when he writes, he writes in a way that is super immersive. But most people, the only true character that you care about is the plot. I remember someone saying that about The Da Vinci Code. And they said um, the, the only character that you give a damn about, besides the guy that Tom Hanks plays, is the plot itself. And how every chapter ends on a cliffhanger and you keep reading, keep reading. But you don't care about the woman you don't even care about the albino monk guy like it's the plot itself is the character, and so i i a lot of science fiction books are written like that it's like whiz bang, future stuff, and then it just moves through and you it's the same characters, but you don't like care about them and The guy that I interviewed, Jason Onspock, you care about his characters, and his characters are very well developed but then there's j k. Rawlings and what she does in this similar. Like, she's not C.S. Lewis writing profound philosophical and theological truths seamlessly woven into a narrative of a children's story. But what she does is write very human stories, very fallen human stories within her narratives. But this is the difference with her. This is how you know she is operating on an entirely different level is – Every single thing in the first 40% of the book show up in the last 20% of the book, and it's important, and it's continued in a way in the following books. In a way that is meaningful. Like I remember joking with you on the first time I read uh, the book about the Whomping Willow, and I was like the stupid Whomping Willow tree, and you just went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. and then when you get to the third book, it's a very significant object in that universe, and it matters, and it, it you know, and it's still mentioned throughout but stuff. But you start to like notice these things that side comments, like um, Snape filling in for professor lupin uh because professor lupin is sick and now he can't teach his class and snape comes in and he's really annoyed and he says open up the page 346 and they're like it's the third day of school we're nowhere near that and he's like we're gonna learn about werewolves that's what you should be learning like it's throwaway lines that sh- there is no such thing as a throwaway line in exactly. the harry potter books and it is yep. shocking to me how absolutely true that is throughout the four books I've read so far. So now I'm in uh, The Order of the Phoenix. And I have to confess something to you, Luke. I don't want to read it.
0: How come? Because it's so depressing. Harry's a little bitch during Order of the Phoenix too. He
1: it, Number one, he's just mad the whole time. Time. It's like yeah, for it's... one month, you couldn't chill out for one month. No, but... It... Yeah, you have
0: to think about – so this is the thing yeah. that was brought up on the Binge Mode podcast. It's fantastic how bold of a choice it is to take your – I mean, this by this point in time, Harry Potter is Harry freaking Potter. Yeah. Like, this is a thing where, like, you know, it's just – she is the publishing industry by this point in time.
1: And she makes – she
0: basically turns Harry Potter into Holden Caulfield, like just like a bitter, angry teenager from yeah. Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it reads like it, like it reminds me of Catcher in the Rye. Like this is just a pissed off teenager, but he's fifteen, and what would a dude be like at that age? Pissed off and angry. Yeah, especially given everything that everything that you know happens to him. It's such a bold choice, and it, I, I really, it's definitely out of like the last half of the books. It tends to be like the fourth or like the fourth of my favorite book out of the last out of the last four.
1: So, and I'll I'll say this, the reason why I don't like I I'm like, uh, do I have to do? is because of all the background plots where th- this to me is the most frustrating thing and I literally have nightmares about this more than anything else, which is evil just doesn't give a damn about what you think. It only gives a damn about destroying you. And to see how, like, Dumbledore is being undermined and Harry is being... And, like, all these good people who have done such good things, they're just undermined and undermined and undermined. And public opinion is thrown against them. I'm just like, this is so... It's, it's meant to be intrinsically frustrating. Like, I don't want to read the book for the very reasons why she put it in there. It's meant to be frustrating. But it's so funny because, like, I... Like, last night I didn't read it because I... um uh, I've been, like, diving into it. I'm like, when are we going to get past the hump where everyone is found out? Like, hey, saves the day. And I'm like, oh, gosh, we're still not there yet. Oh, now there's this trial where they're trying to destroy Harry and expel him from school, even though two Dementors attacked him and they have eyewitness. And I'm just, like, going through it. I'm like, ah, I'm so frustrating. <laughs> I just don't want to read it. And then you got Harry as a little, little punk the whole time. And all of his friends are trying to do everything right by him and, yeah, it's just frustrating. But
0: that's what you know. It's funny, like kind of comparing yeah. it to right now when you think about everything that's going on. And I don't mean Black Lives Matter. I, I I mean like everything. Yeah. When you really experience evil, it's not this thing where it's you know it's not the I mean yeah. do me wrong. Like we need our like you know like they're just bad and they're just good and they have to fight like the, yeah. those those kinds of stories are are important. But it's also good to. Have like nuance, have um, a nuanced stories. Evil is most often frustrating. Yeah. It's not this like horrible thing where it's like, we shall fight back. And like, you know, and you feel like you don't always feel the nobility of your cause going right. against this. It's frustrating, it's ugly it's messy it doesn't go as ex- as expected people you think are allies b- become foes like why is a ministry so so against harry because they're terrified yeah they're terrified at what this means terrified by it so they're going to do everything that they can to be like no they're full of crap they're full you know and quite often um you can sometimes understand their frustration. Not their, like Harry Potter is ultimately a story about two things, love and choice. Um, And you may not agree with the choice that the ministry makes, but I can under, especially like like the very end of Azkaban when they're having that argument. I love that chapter because it's such a beautiful insight. It's like, here's the whole thing right here. The whole, the whole story oh, yeah. for the next, like, you know, like, for the next book, like, the struggle. It's just right, like, and you see, and it, it's such a natural thing, too.
1: And this is one of those things, like, Lord of the Rings, right? It doesn't, it's darkest before dawn, right? It's that that notion of, we think we know what suffering is. Well, now it's time to ratchet it up. And can we still be true to our ideals and true to one another and loyal in the midst of all of this? all of this horribleness in the midst of like public opinion, ripping everyone apart. You got guys like Neville who clearly Neville should be in Hufflepuff. Uh, but you got guys like Neville who are just stalwart friends, right? Like even though they're on the outside, they're not Ron or Hermione. He's still like, he's, he's still a a place of sanity because he's the opposite of Harry Potter. He's not this person who's going to go and do, Crazy rule-breaking things and all of this stuff. And you're smiling and laughing because I know that's Luke like, oh, I got secrets for you in the later books. But up to that. Wish I, I wish I could talk more about this. But, right. I'm going to... but up to the Thank you. And I appreciate that. Uh, however, in the new Batman movie. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, in that they, I, I, I love the juxtaposition because his character is constantly formed by the people around him. Always. And they're all changing. And that's the thing that I love about the book. They're not static people. They're
0: all changing. Yeah. And this is uh, – order is the hardest of the back four, the hardest to get through at times. Yeah. Because it's the one that she said she wished she had more time on. Oh, I she thought that was Goblet Edited. of Fire.
1: Okay. Okay. Because no, when I got no. to the end of
0: Goblet of Fire, I was like,
1: oh, that was great. And then and then I'm slogging through this, and I'm like,
0: "Orders the one that she's like, I just didn't have like she she talked about how she wished she had more time because it, it's also kind of amazing. Ten years, she wrote seven books in ten years, basically a book every eighteen months, yeah, and um or so. And uh, orders the one that she said she wished she had taken a little bit more time, to, but she was like, she also said she didn't know what she could really trim from that book. Mm. And so I think order is worth it um, a al- like allow yourself to like i like order i think i think it's order order has this also kind of like this theme to it and this this isn 't a spoiler i think Okay. of parents, okay, and like what a parent tries to do to protect the people that they care about and what helps them do that, and what gets in the way it 's very subtle. But it is a theme of the book. I could see that, especially
1: with all the conflict in the first 10% of the book. You could tell I'm reading on Amazon. I don't know the page number or a Kindle. I don't yeah, know the yeah, page no, numbers, but I know the percentages. I um, can tell by the screenshots that you sent. <laughs> <laughs> what was the one that I sent you? If you take it out of context, is a dirty... The one
0: it, about um, Uranus or, Oh, or, yeah. Or oh yeah. It wasn't yeah. out of context. I was like, <laughs> I had the exact same thought when I read that. I was like, <laughs> Uranus.
1: Uh were seven. Um but no the uh, around ten percent of the book in this storyline there's the conflict among the Weasley family with especially with Percy who you never like in any of the books. He's always painted as any uh the worst kind of ambitious person, right? Uh a git. Yeah, a git. I as I looked say, that up I was like, what is a git? Uh a Britishism for uh, a dislikable fellow.
0: And I was like, okay. Yeah, he's a real right git. All right. <laughs> all right governor yeah but i would encourage you just keep on going like orders is a good book if you really order is the kind of book where you can get a little bit lost in the weeds now it's some people's favorite b- oh, okay because of that yeah. but if you take just a little bit of a step back and say okay what are some of the bigger things going on it's fascinating
1: yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You know, here's a thing that I want to talk about a little bit. My family, um, we really emphasize reading for those of you who homeschool or, um, maybe the quarantine force you to homeschool. There is this woman that my wife discovered, uh, last year called the read aloud family or the read aloud, whatever. And she's on like Instagram. She's got all the things this is, I, I've never listened. I've, I've listened to some of her stuff, but she's like, if you can give your kids the joy and the desire to read all subjects can be mastered not master, but, you know, like you can, you can, you can listen to science, you know, like a Neil um, deGrasse Tyson thing talking about science and you can enjoy it and, and read and learn about science in a totally different way than, you know, more a liberal arts way. If you enjoy reading. But so often with the oppressive nature of, like, here are these eight books every third grader should read and here are the 20 books every high school student should know, that if people don't like those books, they stop liking reading. And the average American reads less than one book a year. And so I started to realize I got to figure out ways because I have one friend who's becoming a priest. And the way for him to read, he hated reading. He was homeschooled. It was pain in the butt to get him to read. But the one thing that got him, it was his junior year in high school, and he discovered the – what is the zombie television show that everyone loves? The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Thank you. I was like, The Living Dead? No. The Walking Dead comic books. And so his mom is like, well, I hate all this, but if you're going to read, this will be it. And he fell in love with reading through reading the trade paperbacks of the – the Walking Dead, and now he's a reader, and now he's studying philosophy and theology. And so I bought my son, and uh, who's not, who's just learning how to read. I bought him Minecraft books, and uh, it's all about the how to, how to. Uh, oh, sorry, I am banging my my desk.
0: Sorry, Luke. Oh, it's fine. Um, fine. I just, no, I just feel bad for the people who are on Facebook, so. All right, no, all no.
2: right, all I'm right, the, no. we get I'm it. The, I feel bad, bad for them I'm too. Not, that's no,
0: not what I meant. <laughs> You're so sensitive.
1: I'm not sensitive. Um no, but so he's been <laughs> you reading a little it. bitch. I know. <laughs> 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 but he's gone through that book multiple times and it's it's written for, you know, a, a middle schooler, and he's uh, six years old. And so today my daughter and son came down and he goes, Look at this paragraph that Noah read all by himself and it was like about cats in in the in the book. And uh, he read it, and he's like, yeah, I read that all by myself. And it's things like that. Like, I'm like, okay, okay. If it takes, uh, you know, a Lion- Chronicles of Narnia to get someone interested in reading or whatever it might be, I got to get them into the reading thing. Yep. So you know what I did? I went out and I bought my wife, who's the major non-reader in our family. I bought her a book. You know what I bought her? A Ballad of Song and Snakes? Is that what it's called? The... <laughs> Wait. Oh, I thought you. The Ballad of Ice and Fire. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. I was
0: like, wait, you did what? <laughs> no, it's
1: the prequel. Shannon,
0: you need you need to read more. Can I interest you a book with major incest?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna love this. Uh, everyone that you love dies, and uh, everyone you hate remains, and uh, incest. Um, no, you're the ballad, to this a little the ba- quickly, Shannon. <laughs> the Ballad of Song and Snakes is, or Birds and Snakes, or whatever it is, is the prequel to the. Um, Almost like Game of Thrones.
0: What is it called? The Catching Fire, and Hunger Games. Oh, you know I've heard those are actually pretty good. Yeah, I've read until them. the end, I've read I, I like them.
1: The okay. whole thing about the Hunger Games it, it it was her fictional account of what happens to children in war and violence. That's the whole. That's the whole reason. So if you reread the fantastical elements of it, and you just say, "Here are different children." This is how they deal with war and violence. It's a I feel like it's a totally different read.
0: Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um I you know, I actually I I want to piggyback on the, you know, whole reading thing. It used to be, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about I didn't know a lot. I I I know a lot about the history of of American education. I don't know a ton about the history of like of education as a whole. Yeah. But, I do know that in certain traditions, there's just you just i'm gonna read a book and you talk about it, and that's like a lot of your education is is that is yeah. diving into these books that you read,
1: yeah you know seminar was, style yeah
0: yeah, and I personally think i w- that would have been very good for me um when i was i didn't realize how big of a deal this was, but when I was ten, like I read um a Jurassic Park. Oh, very cool. Like twice. And so, and I didn't get all of it, but I was intrigued by enough of it to want to go through it again. And I just, I remember, I remember, um, this is my mom who was, she did a really good job of trying to instill, um, oh, it's okay, baby girl, of trying to install, that that was, I just got a text from Gomer that said, "I'm sorry, baby," and I oh. said, "It's it's okay. I'm a baby girl." <laughs> <laughs> um, You're sick. I don't know why I just couldn't. I'm let it go and text you back later, like you were trying to do. But it's, sorry. Anyways, um, when I was younger, my mom like really tried to install a love of reading um, into me. Like it just it was always this very important thing. So like I can remember wanting to read the books that my parents got from. Whatever yeah. so, you know, so I remember, like I like I read uh, a Regis Feldman autobiography that he wrote, <laughs> which I thought was just really interesting. And I read like a lot of John, I mean, almost all the John Grisham books. Yeah, I that's read so funny. Let's
1: contrast this with your family. I was reading end times prophecies. <laughs> I was reading Catholic apologetics,
0: and I was uh, reading Doctor Peter Craft. You know, I did get into the Left Behind series. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the, I don't I don't I, you know and it was my friend's dad who like God love him he actually died a couple a couple huh. about two months ago and it really broke my heart I ought to read that but uh, and I was telling him and he he was like this very I'm a faithful um, he was a Protestant but just like he just loved the Lord which is a really really cool cool guy so uh, his, uh, his name's like Phil Shea so please please pray pray for him I really huh. I love this guy. And um, he was like, old, you know. So he was my parents' age. They were all in the same charismatic group back, back, back in the day. And uh, um, he uh, was like, you know, I don't put a lot of stock into like end time stuff. I was like, what? <laughs> and then when I heard him say that, it kind of challenged, like, I, I, I don't. It kind of like allowed me to see, oh, like these books, like Left Behind books, are just like a soap opera mixed with the uh, mixed with the apocalypse yeah and so i kind of just stopped reading them
1: yeah no they're awful i mean they really are awful but the um but when you're obsessed with the rapture it's fascinating i know what the funny thing is nothing has divided protestant american christianity more than end times the stuff we know Next to nothing about which Jesus tells us repeatedly, you will know next to nothing about. about,
0: Yeah, they decide, don't even bother.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they decide that they are going to pontificate, and I mean that with the fullness, fullest sense of the word, on all of these issues. And I, um, and I think I mentioned this maybe on this show where uh, I talk so much on podcasts, I don't even know these days. Uh, but there was a book called, I think it was called Flesh, and it was about the incarnation. And someone recommended it to my wife, and so I was reading through it one day, and the guy opens up by saying, nothing has divided us more than end times, and we know the least about it. And he's a Protestant author. And he said, you know, it's, we need to get back to the one thing that we all agree on and deeply understand that mystery, which is the incarnation of Jesus, and really dive into that. And I was like, wait, what? And so he tells, like, a little biographical note about being... If, if I'm remembering this correctly, he was, you know, raised in a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, blah, blah, blah. And his best friend, like, people stopped dating each other from the same church if you belong to a different branch of rapture, millennialism, and all this stuff. And it was just, Hell it was yeah. just weird. And uh, But then I saw that, elements of that creeping into the Catholic Church with, like, the Third Secret of Fatima. And not just the Third Secret of Fatima, but the way the camps divided. And there was a group called... I think they were called America Needs Fatima, that would just – every everything that would come in the headlines was, something's happening. This is it. A comet is about to strike the sun. You know what happens if a comet strikes the sun? It burns up before it touches the sun. Move along, right? And it didn't touch the sun. It crashed into Jupiter anyway. But it was like stuff like that that they were looking for confirmation of their own whacked-out mm-hmm. views, and I just <laughs> drove me insane.
0: I have a theory about this. It actually ties into a thing that I wanted to, to – to talk about. Can you introduce but, a
1: theory and then I run to the bathroom and then we talk no, about the thing you want to talk about? No, I about to say
0: <laughs> I have to pee so badly. <laughs> so bad. It is hot as balls up in this room right right now.
1: <laughs> oh, here's Luke.
0: Hey, oh, I'm Luke. Really sorry about that. No, I no. I a thousand times
1: better. No, I, my room, this room where I do all my stuff is the hottest room in the house. And the fact that I have to have a fan on the other side of the room blowing air because it, I can control the airflow so it doesn't blow into the microphone, but Man. Man alive. I get it. I get it. So,
0: I'm going to spoil the very end of Mad Men. Not completely. Not my favorite uh, part of the very end end of Mad Men. But a part. So, I still haven't watched, watched the last oh, season. Oh, I think it's fantastic. I know some people have issues with it, but I think they... People who have issues oh, with it tend to want to see like Don Draper and everything, just be cool and not deal with not deal with issues. And it's all just like deal with the issues, man. <laughs> like so I like it. It's it's heavy, but it's not the easiest to watch. But I think it is really I think that Mad Men's in like one of I'd put in the top five greatest on the TV shows ever. I think it's fantastic. But anyways so the main guy, Donnie D, Don Draper, he is kind of this, you know, like, uh, clean-cut, chiseled jaw, was the all-American quarterback kind of guy is, you know, like, what he looks like. Known in Catholic
1: circles as the Father Mike Schmitz of the 1950s yeah. and 60s. Go
0: on. Except, you know, he ho- was a horrible human being.
1: Mm.
0: and um, Yeah, the opposite there. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> and so he, uh, I mean, his name is Don Draper, you know? So um, yeah. now it's a name that he assumes, but that's a whole other thing. He, at the very end, he's at this hippie camp, and he's in, like, a group therapy thing. He's just kind of there, and he doesn't really want to be there, but he's there for a host of reasons. And there's this kind of bald, like, unassuming guy who's not ugly, but he's not strikingly handsome either. There isn't anything that you would see and go, whoa, look at that guy. Yeah. And he starts to talk in this group, in this, um, you know, group therapy thing. And he talks about how um, he has this dream or, 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 or whatever. And, like, in the dream, he's like a carton of milk. And his family is at a party. And they keep opening up the fridge to grab stuff. And they don't grab the milk. Milk is, like, a basic thing that, that we all need. But it doesn't feel very important. And, he, and he's trying to scream and to say, it's me. But they keep, like, passing over him and he is guy and he's just like they don't care about me. I feel like they don't like they just don't even bother to see me. They just keep going in, in into this fridge and um he basically starts to cry. And I I I wish I could remember more parts of it. And he basically starts to cry while he's saying this. And the camera while he's saying it inches like towards um like towards like Donnie d's face and you see that like he's like you see that he's like the most exposed he's ever been throughout the entire show to the point where he doesn't like look good he looks like this is why i think john Hammond's a fantastic actor he just looks like oh my he just seems like almost like he's like i'm naked but not in like a i'm sexy way or anything but in an in a uh Vulnerable, the emotional, emotional way. He, yeah, he seems... Incri- yeah, just... And, like, he gets up, starts to cry, and he, like, hugs this guy, and then they both, like, sob. And I think it's the point of the show, which is Don Draper just wants to be seen. He wants to be loved. He wants to be known. He wants to know that his life has a purpose, that he is necessary, that it's good that he... that he exists. Yeah. Which I think is... And there's that line that I have uh, talked about on here with that uh, relates to uh, Pope Benedict's his um, theology of affirmation. That not only is it good that you exist, it is necessary that you exist. And I think that's one of the things that we see happening right now with the whole um, Black Lives Matters, with the tearing down of all of these all of these statues with this almost like it's almost feels like part of these riots are starting to turn inwards and just com- it's almost like the west is finally committing suicide. Now, I don't know if that's really true. I don't I I don't know if you can argue that it, that it kind of already has and this is just like the remnants of trying to, to rectify with that. I don't know. And I'm I'm it's tough because um I I I want to Get into all this, but I want to get into it with the nuance that I think it deserves. I think what we see happening, like we we cannot forget that we inherited like Western culture that that slaughtered ten million people ruthlessly, efficiently, effectively. Like you know, we like aren't German, but that came out of the West, and that's the tradition we have. Like we have inherited, it seeps into our philosophy, the way that we, um, the way that like we view the world, whether we like it or not, it is a part of us. This idea that you only um, like certain things, um, certain people, certain things matter more than others is an idea that like, like we've just kind of inherit. It's just, it's, um, and I think what you see is this like kind of pull towards no, you're necessary. It's good that you exist. But we don't have anything that tells us that. Our entire structure, our entire way of life is built upon you can own like your value is what you produce. Yeah. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like I'm I think it's good to have a you know strong worth that worth a strong Work ethic. It's good to want to work hard. It's good to want to provide for your family. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. They're very important. Um, But I am saying that, like, the West has replaced God with production. And that's what's brought about, like, what I can make, what I can. That's all that trans people want. I, mean, I, don't want to, I don't want to speak for them, but I think what we hear from a lot of the um, trans community is they just want to be known that, that they are necessary, that, they, that it's okay for them to exist. And we always have these caveats to it of like, you do, just not in like this way. And I, I think, and there are times when I'm like, do we, have we put on a pedestal this idea of, of like your best self? You know, that kind of lie of, like, your best self, your best – which is why I think oh, Matthew Kelly stuff is garbage because it's like that's so not Christian because your best – like, like when I see the, a cross on your wall, that's the best self of Christ. And that's horrible. That's horrifying. It's scary. It's like God poured out, f- you know, for man. And I think, like, so often we um, – we want to say you are, ne- and this is, I think, kind of like what we were, what we we're starting to get at last week is like we want to, you know, have these conversations, but always on our terms. So, anyways, I, that's that was that was my um vomit of of the week. Let's go from
2: there.
1: So we started with Don Draper crying over. He
0: thinks his whole life is – people are just – they don't really care about him.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: he just is desperate. Over him. He is desperate to be acknowledged and noticed and affirmed and
0: – He wants to know that it's good that he – because he has to say it, you know He's the child of uh, – his prostitute. dad went and got a prostitute, and she had him. She dies during childbirth. He goes and Umla lives with his dad and his dad's and his dad's wife. His dad dies, and, like, the mom hates him. Yeah, And he's just viewed as a burden his entire life, mm-hmm. which is why when he has a chance, he takes on the fake name. Yeah. It's and like they, a chance that he can reinvent. He's he's the American. man That's why I love this show. He's the American man who believes in self reinvention. He literally um does. And he actually. So I, I don't want to get uh, too deep. Yeah. But yes.
1: The reinvention to the point of adopting a false self and a false self that becomes more real than his real self. And all of these things, the, the reconciliation of, like, throughout the whole season or the whole course of the show, he's constantly battling between the two selves, right? The the debonair, suave uh, madman, right? The guy that conquered yeah. Madison Avenue whose yep. campaigns are award-winning and all of this stuff. And he's rich and he has a beautiful second wife who's a model and blah, blah, blah. But then you come back to every so often his origin story resurfaces, right? Yep. Especially and, in the set. Yeah. Yeah. And he loses, uh, the Hershey chocolate campaign because he tells the truth about himself. And, uh, in and in he did it deliberately to kind of torpedo and draw attention off of, uh, another guy who was like, you owe me
0: on this. But when I also think he couldn't, he couldn't help with the lie yeah. anymore. Yeah. He, like, his but that hands led him to him. To lose, yeah, yeah. That led to him He's losing like, his yeah. job.
1: And, you know, the things, the things that, and and it is fascinating, like you could walk through Mad Men from this lens, the lens of meaning, the lens of identity, the lens of purpose, and look at, like, here is this guy who is of two people, right? He's the son, the outcast son of a whore, right? And, and a, and a negligent father, but he's also simultaneously the guy who conquers in a lot of way. I mean, he's, he has conquered, worldly pursuits right he's incredibly yeah yeah, he's incredibly women throw themselves at him um he's suave he's all the he's all the things men want to be right he's all the things men want to be he has all the things that men want to have and yet that he he stands as one irreconciled within himself and uh and you know it almost is like the 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 story of the two brothers right or the story of the leper and the and the rich man on the horse like until don can confront his origin story right that he is of a leper right that that like that that deep this is why i think genesis chapter two and chapter three are so important to understand the human person is like we we are all don draper right we are all yep You know, outcast sons and daughters, especially
0: as Americans, especially as as Americans
1: and our refusal to like, like that is the call to repentance. The call to repentance is this constant um, need to not prop up ourself. It's to tear down the lies that we keep propping up around ourselves, right? Like we don't want to look at a mirror; we want to look at a portrait that we've painted of ourselves. This is really who I am. This is really who I am. Oh, and that's yeah. And the amazing oh, thing that's is, interesting, you know. And re- repentance is is uh, is is an honest, humble self look, right? What a man is before God—that he is, and nothing else. And so, when you begin to stare at a mirror instead of a portrait that you've creatively painted of yourself. Um, you realize like, holy crap, warts and all, this is who I am. And the reconciliation, that, that moment of reconciliation of who I am, who I pretend to be, and who, who, who I am in, my de- in the very depths of my soul, that when those two meet, that's conversion, and it's always a cross. At the center of it, it's always a cross. And if you don't have Christian hope, it doesn't end in resurrection. It ends in despair. It ends in two men hugging each other, sobbing, because what's the way forward? What's the way forward after realizing I am the outcast son of a neglect, neglecting father and a prostitute? Can I, can I
0: spoil Mad Men? Sure. Are what you, no, no, what no. is it, Luke? I don't want to do that to you. I don't, it's it's, what it's been like three years. If I haven't watched it so yet. So you yeah. should watch it. Like Okay, so skip ahead about like a minute okay. if you don't want to have – I, I really think that I, – but I think it's even
1: <laughs> – Spoiler, yeah, spoiler
0: horn. It's been a while since we've dusted since we have um dusted off the spoiler horn. Okay, so so skip ahead, like hit the hit the um, fifteen second button, skip twice. Beep beep. Okay, so Don Draper at the very end does two things that I think are in, that are incredible. Before he really has that moment, he basically calls Peggy on the phone, kind of his like protege, his the closest thing that he you know really has to family. And he's on his knees crying to her. And she's like, she thinks he's like about to um, commit suicide. And she goes, Where are you? And he basically confesses his sins to her. And one of the things that he says that I think is brilliant he goes, I took an honest man's name and I didn't do anything with it. Oh, because it's because the whole show, you think he's going to be exposed somehow. It's always in yeah. the back. But what we what we kind of don't um, realize. I mean, we do realize is that the like I'm um, a wife of the guy's name that he took. She's totally fine with it. Yeah. She understands what this could be for him. She lets it happen. She's like, no, please, like take it. And like he takes care of her. It's yeah. just it's and it's I'm not platonic, it's good. right? Isn't it platonic? Oh, no, yeah, no, absolutely. She's the closest thing he has to like a mother or a sister. It's not a yeah. um, sexual thing at all. And, like, he loves her. He loves her yeah. in a way that he doesn't love anyone else in the entire show. And this guy's wife, it was his commanding officer who died in this, like, I'm a huge explosion. He takes his dog tags. And so, and I always thought it was fascinating that he doesn't, um, he doesn't confess that he took, that, he, you know, he mm-hmm. took the name. He confesses that he didn't do anything with it. Ugh. And then at the very end, and this is kind of sad, he's basically doing this like um he's like it's like meditation thing it's going like um you know that little like sound that you do when you like meditating uh yeah om it's the sum total of all the vibrations of the universe go on yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, whatever (laughs) and then um you hear this like you hear a ding noise and then he gets a slight he gets a slight he gets a slight smile on his face and then you see i'd like to buy the world a coke ad uh, and that's the end of the show. So it implies that he created that ad. Yeah. That he then went back from this whole conversion experience he goes through and creates the greatest ad in history <laughs> from that. <laughs> and and it uh, because that's always um, considered to be like the greatest um commercial ever. The I would like to buy the world of Coke. And you're right, like where do you go after you have that, um, after you have that um, moment with modern man? We don't have anywhere to go, but try to acknowledge that that's what I feel and do the best I can with it.:
1: Yeah, we go to self-help.
0: And he can't do anything and like what does the Balthasar? What does you know he have to say about that? The path towards self-help is the path towards loss of God. Ooh. right, that f- messed me up when I first read that yeah. it still does because i 'm like, what do you mean by that? I think he implies self knowledge I-, I think he says self knowledge not self help but the oh, man that would have been
1: awesome if it was self help
0: <laughs> but I, but like because he, he is really i 'm talking about so like where does Balthasar bring that up it 's when he it 's a it 's like a homily I think that he that he that he wrote. On the two people that uh, go oh, to yeah. the temple to pray, you have the guy who really does everything right. Then you have the woman who's poor, and she goes, I am a horrible sinner. No, the, yeah, the, yeah, the tax collector's not a Yeah, the tax tax guy. Collector. And he, And so he goes, the tax guy, he talked all about himself, all the good things that, that he does, all of the self-hacking that he's done to be the best thing that he could be, all the, the Tim Ferris crap. I saw that and it ripped me apart because we talked so much about like, yeah, that's why I love Mad Men. It's so good, but like now the, the one bad part about um, Mad Men is they do tend um to glorify his affairs and, and, and the sex and all that stuff, and you start at a root for him a bit during certain times when you really almost shouldn't be. So yeah. I totally get why people have a well, but isn't that
1: him. the point though? I like yes, like the I would end agree. of the yeah. first episode is so like painful. Because yeah. it reveals that he's in the middle of this affair because he shows up at home after sleeping with this like, beautiful woman who's the, an artist like, and all this you stuff. think
2: he's
0: this guy who's like kind of torn between like the art world and the and like the corporate, the corporate world, world. but and then, then you, you go, oh, he's way worse, yeah. yeah,
1: and then then he goes and he like rubs his kid's head and he goes and climbs into bed, and you're like with his wife, and you're like,
0: "Oh no, you have the two point five kids and the blonde haired wife and the blah 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 yeah
1: yeah, but the uh, the idea around it is is not just that it glorifies is at least as an audience member, it's the, the people who created it, like how easy it is to glorify these things because it shows how it's destructive. Like,
2: mm-hmm. so it
1: destroys, it destroys his relationship with his first wife, Betty. Then he yep. meets this young, you know, Megan. younger, hotter model, you know, woman. well, and he and,
0: like hurts a couple people along the way. To yeah.
1: Him. Yeah. And then yeah. he's with, Uh, Megan and loves Megan and you think like oh this is a new Start a new chance for him He's become a new man because he saw the way Megan Treated his children and She treated her His kids Better than Betty treated their kids. Betty was yep. always barking at him and rude, and she like loved them and was um, well, fat Betty. <laughs> I Betty. Used to sing that when she had when she gained a bit of weight. Aaron used to get so mad at me. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> but the interesting thing was then there's the scene in the second to last season where he sleeps with an older neighbor of his, and his daughter finds it's out. Terrific, yeah. So like, and this is after his divorce from Megan you know and it it is so powerful like catholics we have to stop demanding moralism in our cinema that's part of the power of art is when it showcases the immorality and shows the the consequences right there's plenty of immoral stuff that's told in an immoral way but like like godfather part 2 Buddy of mine said, "You know, how dare you watch that?" You know, buddy of ours in college, like you have to say you like Godfather Part Three if you say you like one and two, because otherwise you're just glorifying mob life. And in Part Three, he there's the redemption arc. And I said, "No, no, 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 no. Number one, Part Three, Part Three is okay as a movie, but compared to one and two, it sucks, right?" When you're standing next to the sun, a light bulb isn't going to do it, right? So even though it shines, it's not as yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, is an halogen is, light bulb. Yeah, but it is an amazing movie when you look if you can get back, past Andy Garcia's overacting.
0: And when you look the, at the Wikipedia points, you're like, okay, except for the cousin thing, that's yeah, a little weird.
1: When you, when you, when you, the overacting of Andy Garcia and the underacting of Coppola. Uh, what's
0: Sophia Coppola. Sophia yeah. Coppola, who is wonderful director wonderful, <laughs> director, wonderful director, <laughs> yeah. wonderful director, not a good actress. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, especially in that. Um, That the movie,
1: I mean, like, the fact that, you know, the confession scene is so, and then, and and what else, or whatever he keeps saying, and what else, and then I think it's from, uh, dude,
0: where's my car? Uh, But the, um, and and the end when he goes, um, your sins are terrible, Yeah, and then he forgives them, so powerful. Yeah, it is, and he's weeping,
1: and to juxtapose that from the baptism scene. Where the baptism scene in part one, he's murdering people while saying, I reject Satan, his palms and works and empty promises. And in part three, he's confessing. How he's cooperated with Satan in his pomps of works and empty promises. And as he's confessing this, right, he's receiving the sacrament, right? And it's powerful. But I said to my buddy, I said, part one and two show you the consequences of an evil life. He was a war hero. He knew his family's business was evil, even though he loved his family. He knew it was evil. He didn't want anything to do with it. And he was marrying a woman outside of the drama. But what happens? She gets an abortion. He gets pulled in. He ends up becoming a killer. His first wife is murdered. He ends up murdering his own brother. Like it never ends. It's not glorifying
0: the violence. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's weird too. And oh I'm sorry, I just No, that that, uh, that, that but that's there. the
1: line you gotta watch or you gotta walk, right? Like in making the movie, you're trying to sell a movie. So the medium is the message, right? You're trying to sell a movie, you're trying to make it good, but at the same time, you need to manifest the workings of evil is that evil is always a glorifying thing, not all that glitters is gold, but damn it, it still glitters and if you don't show the glittering, alluring, beautiful esque nature of evil, then it becomes then it becomes uh the the damn movies the the pure film films movies the the uh, what you know the football movie where oh everyone's oh, doing fireproof? a bible study, yeah fireproof and the yeah, it becomes a moralism it becomes veggie yeah. tales there's nothing on the line there's nothing deeply resonating and that's why harry potter works for so many people because here's this like kid who had to deal with a lot of like physical abuse and a huge tragedy and he's thrown into this world and it turns out the evil that destroyed his family is still coming after him but he's got to deal with his own crap
0: too <laughs> like it, and, and he a- just wants to play Quidditch and do his homework, (laughs) you know, but, but he's dealing with PTSD after the, you know, I mean, really he's, and I think you're like, you, um, man, there's so much there. That was, that was really good. Like what I love about on the Mad Men is there's this, um, they're trying to get after like a profound problem of the modern age. Which is sorry, I'm trying trying to think and talk, which which, which I can't do. Which is that I, again is this thing of of um, you are necessary. You are it is um, it is uh, not only is it good that that you exist. It is necessary that you that like you exist, and we dispose of people so yeah. easily. Yeah. So you know, and that's like, um, like what I think is so interesting about the Godfather and I, j- I just happened to think of this while uh while uh while like you were talking about it is that there's this part where he has to kind of protect his dad's life and he knows it and so he has to turn off like the good side of his mind of yeah. his and go. Okay. I got to go into, I need to protect my dad's, my dad's life. Cause he's, there are guys coming to kill him right now. I need to act right now. And he, he doesn't panic. He doesn't like, you know, it's, I I wish Al Pacino would act, would have like act more like that. Cause I don't, I think he, when he screams, I don't think he's as interesting as when he's, I'm yeah, still
1: no, not, not, at all. but,
0: um, and but that's what he has to do the entire time in the Godfather part two, and I think we see at the very end of um Godfather part One. He thinks in order to be in charge of the family, he needs to turn off he needs to basically once uh once Apollonia dies, his humanity is gone, yeah, and he has to, he cannot operate. The only way that he can act and like keep his family alive is if he doesn't have a heart yeah. Because yeah. if he does, his good friends, like we see his one um, friend on the bodyguard, is going to betray him and kills his wife. Yeah. And so from that point on, he's just pure methodical and cold. Yep. Because that's when that turns him evil. By the end of, like, we see, like, I love the shot of him at the end of Godfather Part 2 where he's just on the bench. And you can see that he's just like... Yep, I'm evil. <laughs> like he just like he knows we knows what he had to become to really, fulfill this role. Yeah, and if you don't, if, if you know, if existence doesn't matter, what choice do people have left? Yeah, you know I, this is one reason why I think all this stuff. I I'm, I'm so I'm torn because I want to talk about things going on right now, but then I just want to talk about Mad Men the whole time. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to do both. But, like you know what what I really love about I'm um, the Mad Men is that it is one step forward, two steps back, and somehow oh, yeah. it makes oh, progress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then it goes back and around and it's, it's just it's and there are times when it's like a little bit of like, OK, let's but I like I'm so like I'm, one of my favorite parts of Mad Men are when they're drawn to, like they want to start the new company. And I'm like, so I could watch that a thousand times and never get I'm tired of it. And it's funny because it's right as Don Draper's first marriage collapsed. While that is falling apart, he's quitting his other own business and they're all starting a new one. And it's fascinating how they put those two things together. The guy whose actual life is starting um, to fall apart, trying to reinvent himself. As Americans, we don't have anything left but to try to reinvent ourselves. Yeah, we've all
1: become Madonna. Like Madonna to me is a parody of herself like she is a living parody of herself. Madonna has created so many different or not created, but her music has shifted in so many different ways. And I remember an interview she said whenever you're doing this stuff, you always have to recreate yourself in every with every album. And I just thought like what a terrible way to live. Uh, you know, but like and also what an inauthentic way to be an artist, right? It's like she's She's chasing the pop in pop, cold, in, in pop music, right? She wants to be popular to sell the volumes to do the thing. She, she had the great line that, I, that I've heard many uh, a preacher quote, which is she said, whenever I create a number one hit album, I'm happy for like a week, maybe two weeks. And then I get this anxiety inside me that I'm not going to be good enough.
2: My drug's attention. I am an addict, but I get paid to indulge in my habit. It's all an illusion. I'm wearing makeup. I'm wearing makeup, 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 makeup. Art is a dead. So people think you're funny. How do we get those people's money? I said a heart is a dead. We're rolling in dough while Carlin rolls in his grave, his grave
1: this is, you know, and they spin it as, like, this is the burden of the artist. But it's the burden of the artist whose own artwork is idolatry, right? Like, it's the work of my hands that I now worship. But as soon as I'm done building it, because I'm making popular works, as soon as it's finished, it has a, a shelf life. Tick, 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 tick. And next thing. Isn't and next that thing. the
0: burden? The kind of, like, you know bring it back to what we were talking about earlier how like these artists just trying to uh um, like say stuff and just be relevant be and be the center of, of of attention isn't that the burden of the west now you know because it's like there's there's we've gotten rid we've gotten rid of meaning yeah. and so you aren't necessary you aren't good you aren't you aren't important all that matters is like what you can do. That yeah. culture of you know self reinvent. And I'm so this is why th- the Great Gatsby is considered the all American novel. I mean, it's a thing about self reinvention to get what he always wanted, but he yeah. can never really have Daisy. And um, like, I just I think so. Like, I think so much of like the way we present Catholicism, we still do it. This, this, this I, I, I don't this think. Way. I think
1: there's an element where we can't help but doing it. Once you start studying history and philosophy, and the like the way philosophers weave themselves throughout history like you see these massive currents where we adopt the tradition around us right we we adopt the way people yeah. think yep. and it's always about that like either we become too capitalistic meaning we reduce people to just their outcome or their product or their you know their um roi or you know we we evaluate church and ministry from a business perspective or we become socialistic right like the individual loses its meaning and distinction in collapse of the whole and the whole matters and nothing else matters i mean that's the star trek universe is literally pinged the entire thing is this it's a very utilitarian notion of the greater good and you can't have a marxist revolution without its core being utilitarian Right? It's just not a utilitarianism of the individual. It's a utilitarianism of the masses, however I conceive it. So Stalin could look at his people and say, yeah, the Ukrainians don't belong. It's totally fine if subsistence subs- – uh, I keep on saying subsistent, but that's not what I'm looking for. Self-sustaining farmers in the Ukraine, they all deserve to die because they're life unworthy of life because they exist outside of what I want to do. So he can annihilate them while propping up his version of the collective. And it's all you know, we mm-hmm. gotta sacrifice the one for the sake of the many. But who gets to be the many and who gets stuck being the one? And um when you when you step back and you look at this, Luke, I think it's I think what you were saying is is the conversation around meaning is the most important conversation. You know what the number one best the number one best selling book I think in English in the twentieth century was? It's been translated to twenty nine different languages, sold like fifty million copies. It's Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Life, yeah. And when you stop and you think about it, like, the first words of the book are, your life is not about you, right? Like, that is countercultural in a very deep way. But I think it speaks to the, like, the aching hunger of, like, it's not enough that I invent my own meaning because then I got to reinvent and reinvent and reinvent and reinvent. And now I'm at 65-year-old Madonna living in the UK who just says whatever people want to hear and, you know, like... I'm 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 tapped out as an artist, right? Like I, I can't stand Madonna if if you've picked up that drip. Yeah,
0: really going hard against Madonna. I really don't <laughs> like Madonna. She's just a material girl living in a material world. Come on. Bing 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 ding bing. You know, but actually the, 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 there's a thing by her that I always that I always I thought about. It was her on the show. Um, remember it wasn't it, by the time that we were teens, it'd been replaced by a much better thing called Total Request Live. Yeah. By everyone's always like he was almost a priest Carson Daly he was in a, it was um in seminary for like a day or whatever yeah. um <laughs> uh but oh gosh she was on a thing with that guy uh Casey Casey Kasem? Casey Kasem there was a show American bands I don't remember it, it was like one of the first things that like she she was on and she's like 19 or something and they asked her what do you want to do and she goes take over the world (laughs) how else can you do that but by constantly reinventing yourself now yeah you know and it's it's to the point where we protect um we protect people's right to do that and and i understand why like you know um Uh, Trans, especially like uh, trans black um, people, I I think trans, trans black, like black women, I believe it's something like the age of 35 is when they typically die or something like it's, it's something horrible. Like, it's just it's so sad. And so often, I think, as Catholics, we want to say your life matters. Here's what you have to do in order to make your life matter. As opposed to saying it is good that you exist, which is all I think these people all I th- it's all I think most people want to hear, like all the statues that are being torn down are are of people who at some point in time oppressed another group, and like why is it that that's what we want to destroy? Why is it that
1: why why do we want to destroy? symbols of like monuments why why to oppression? why are we
0: trying to t- or, or these um, monuments cuz i think statues are actually very important yeah i love statues i think that they are pretty i think that they are cool especially when they have a um, classic um design not not like modern stuff which just looks stupid
1: yeah no kidding
0: i'm not opposed to modern statues i just think a lot of them look stupid um or the for dumb reasons um but you know so sake so like there's one I, I believe it's been taken down i'm not too sure the big debate is over the teddy the uh, teddy roosevelt one and uh, teddy roosevelt did a lot of good but he had a lot of colonialism stuff at at play as well yeah. which in order for that to work certain lives have to have to not matter And you um, wipe them out, or you don't. uh, You don't um, treat them as human beings. You treat them as savages. And there's a lot to admire about you know him, but like I feel I'm so I'm I'm trying to approach this from like a real objective standpoint because if I don't, I just want to weep and get very depressed. So I'm gonna try to just not be emotional about this. I it's almost like the earth is crying out for justice. And I used to think like last week that it was just for the wrongs that have occurred uh, because of things like slavery. I still think that that is true, but I'm starting to think that it is just a deeper thing that the culture, our entire way of life is built upon this idea that you don't actually matter. We say that you do, but what, what we really mean is what you do matters okay as opposed to you, like you matter, it is good that you exist it is necessary that you that you know you exist instead it 's all about what you, what you can do, so that 's why we kill disabled people that 's why we kill the elderly that 's why we have abortion. That's so let why. me let
1: me let me quote rate right to you. This is why I hate you, Luke, because you don't read Pope John Paul II, but you almost just quoted him. You ready for this? I've
0: read him in the past.
1: Wait, letter to letter to families. Utilitarianism is a civilization of production and of use, a civilization of things and not persons, a civilization in which persons are used in the same way things are used. In the context of a civilization of use, women can become an object for man, children a hindrance to parents. Uh, the family and institution obstructing the freedom of its members. Right. Like right, right there is that notion of, uh, is that notion of when we create a culture all built around use and production, we create a culture where the culture of death just comes right on in injustice, all that stuff.
0: But I, I, I think, and here's like, here's my issue with like the church right now, American Catholicism, more of her members than the actual Alma church itself. So I should probably rephrase that. I love that he's, he is, you know, absolutely right. The answer is not everyone then becomes Catholic and agrees with it. The answer is that we live this out. Yeah. And when we try to preach the gospel to, to people and, and we say like, if you just did um, this and this and this, you'll be fine. As opposed to you matter, your life has your life has has worth, you're not meant to be used. And then as people start to slowly understand that, and then they almost seek out what they should. It's like we're putting the cart ahead of the horse almost. So it's like we're 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 telling gay people, if you stop what you're doing right now, you'll be fine. As opposed to just saying you matter. God loves you and let that just be it. This is the gospel. Like, 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 like presenting the cross and giving people the chance to enter into that, as opposed to saying, this is all you have to do to change. Cause aren't we just doing the same thing? Because these things that are, you know, hindering you are not of use in terms of coming into your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Am I I explaining this well? Well, where do you
1: balance the call to repentance and change, which hits every human heart, not just, you know, you know, I think there are some sins which we find in our Christian culture more acceptable than others. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the dangerous part is it's easy to gloss over greed. It's easy to gloss over arrogance and ambition. It becomes difficult to gloss over, you know, homogenital intercourse in you know
0: in, our, in yeah. our modern and this this could be me just being scared to like just be rejected by the culture and i fully admit that that is a cross of mine. <laughs>
1: you're, you're, so gonna aware of that. you're gonna own it
0: you're gonna own it yeah no 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 it, no it absolutely is um uh i mean that was the thing that kept me away from really i'm um, a living on um, my faith for the first part of high school was that fact right there of just well this isn't gonna um, make me cool Turns out, oh my! Neither was my like hemp necklace, but who knew?
1: Who knew? Um, It was the hemp necklace. It was seashells, white seashells. It was,
0: yeah. Uh, The but my, um, what was I trying to say? I I don't. I I think like best Catholic stuff episodes that I thought that they ever did that I just loved was when they talked about belief and just here's why belief is rational. And I think we have to start at that like, that fundamental of a point, you know? So if you want to put same-sex attraction, say that that um, is third base. At the, at you know, home plate is the idea of belief being a rational thing. At first base is the idea that, like, could God exist? At second base is the idea that that God is Christ. He loves us. He died. And then we can go into more of, like, the morality of it. But I, I think we tend to put morality in the same box as all of this. And I think it's just falling on deaf ears. So, you know, like, yeah, yeah. People that, are I mean, getting that's, really that's all
1: a Bishop Barron. That's his whole approach to evangelization. He's like, we're talking to people who have never played baseball about the fussiness of the infield fly rule. And he's like, and we haven't even shown them the grass, the bases and how to swing a bat. Like we haven't shown him the good life of Christ We're just walking up to him being like, are you contracepting? You better stop that. And there's an element where that works because some people, the moral hindrances are what wake them up. But for a lot of people, especially in our culture where it's not just identity politics, but it's the formation of my identity around this or that thing, whatever that thing might be, um, that introducing them to the person of Christ has to take on. You know, a more character, like you were saying, I thought the, you say first base, you were like, the homosexuality thing, that's third base. And I was like, what? I think me and you were thinking of third base in different
0: ways. Uh, (laughs) It's probably more of the infield fly. uh, Well,
1: but no, I mean, no, I was just like, you know, when people are like, oh, I got to first base with it. So uh, when... You think uh, not about that. Everything
0: about me is with sex.
1: I know it's just every other thing. <laughs> that was
0: such a weird. What did I just say there? <laughs> <laughs>
1: but the idea I talk is. About. But but the idea is, if we don't give them the good news, we just tell them the bad news. Change your life. Change your life. Change your life. We're not being winsome. We're not trying to win people for Christ, and then people respond by like, "Yeah, but you're hiding the truth." And it's like, I'm not hiding the truth. Truth can only be received in the mode of the receiver, and I have to break in. And the best way to break into someone's life is to tell them that the truth about God's love for them, that that no man has ever loved a gay man or a a lesbian woman or a transgender person or a black person or a white person or any other person. No man has ever loved a person more than what Jesus Christ loved you with on Good Friday. No one. No one will ever love you more than that moment. But (laughs) we can't get to that moment for many people in a post-Christian culture because they think, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and it's not enough.
0: Or I've experienced hate from people who claim the cross. Yeah, and here's what I'm wondering. When we present the Christian faith, is it just another opportunity for self-reinvention? Is that how we present it oh, a hundred percent are and you kidding now, me
1: absolutely we do now that there all the time. there
0: could be some truth to that because, like behold, I make all, all, all things new like God does change us, you know, and that 's a good like so it, 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 is it like a good thing that is then warped, and that 's just another example of our like i 'm a post Christian culture that takes these very 'm a Christian ideals and you know screws them up. Or is it actually a really, i um, dangerous thing because we like, is, is this that whole like Americanism thing I play that we don't even, we don't even know that we're like, how many of us gave talks to kids in high school when like we were in college and we would um, come home and we would go to our like youth group and be like, guys, Chris Shane is going to change your life. You know, yeah. like, are you sad? Jesus. Yeah. And um, like, is it? Not just this idea of like a warped of of like a warped among view of God, but are we actually coming about it from the brokenness of like of our culture? Like, like is it the way we understand it and present it wrong from the get-go? Mm. I think there are elements that we haven't that actually is. experienced it.
1: Yeah, I think there are elements one hundred percent that that are like the way you said it. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that approach to faith, like are you sad? Equal Jesus. You know, like, uh, the, the, there are, there are horrible things that we we don't even understand. I think this is why we see people leave the church so easily is we've so cheapened the cost of conversion. And I don't just mean like, like C.S. Lewis had this line where he said, becoming a Christian, isn't like being born. You have to be born in Texas, right? So now you're, well, of course I'm Christian. I was born in Texas. Like, what the hell does that have anything to do with it? That's a real quote, by the way. Um, but C.S. Lewis talks about being Christian is as serious as, like, now I'm a communist. And he said that in the 1940s in in the U.K. Like, becoming a communist was a – you adopted a entire way of viewing the world, right? And you knew that viewing this way and living the the truths you know about the world, the proletariat and all that stuff – mean, you have to live your life as a consequence in a radically different way than your bougie neighbors. And the thing about what C.S. Lewis is trying to make is, like, we've lost that connection between the truths that we believe and the way that we live our life. And I, th- I think that's fundamentally true. We want kids to, like, on- honestly, when we say, like, believe in Jesus and it'll change your life, many times that's really a fear uh, it's rooted in a fear, and I've said this before, it's rooted in a fear of us of of us adults watching teenagers make mistakes and sinning and screwing up. Like, the fear tactic of a chastity talk is, guys, you really have no idea how horrible it is if you get a girl pregnant or if you get a disease for the rest of your life. Like, I'm going to use Jesus language just to scare you from making a sin, you know? But it, it has to be more and deeper than that. Yes, our sins offend an infinite God. And for his glory, we have to get rid of them. And for our sanctification, we have to get rid of them. But they're like, like you were saying, like that's not the motivation. The motivation is not sin less, but I think a lot of those things, uh, or in our self-help age experience negative emotions less, uh, even if it's not sinful. I think that a
0: lot of that is just, is damnably wrong. Yeah. It, and I, 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 you know, you brought up a good point. Like, I think you're right about we don't know the cost of conversion. And there are times that I wonder, do we even know what conversion is? You know, because like we tend to hold up um, the Middle Ages or the medieval uh, period or like the Dark Ages, which I hate that term, but whatever, um, as like the height of the church. And I'm like, their whole economy was run um, different than, you know, like – they would see some of the things and the attitudes that we have and be horrified. And I think we, I'm like, I'm like, are we holding up the true things that like the, like they lived out, which are actually pretty powerful and cool. Or are we holding up the fact that the church was the center of the world? And that's what I want. Like, don't give me any of the stuff. Like I want to keep my, I'm like, I'm really horrified to do a deep dive on the heresy of of Americanism, because every time I read it, it eats me up inside. Because <laughs> you know, like uh, when I was, I'm talking about how much I, I, oh, I um, love The Great Gatsby. Uh, we got a text the next day after it was released from JD Flynn telling us how much he hates that book. And he told me to go read this other one, which I still haven't read yet. But I did. What buy was it. the other uh, one? I forget. JD, uh, uh, I'll uh, I'll text him and I'll, I'll I'll find the name of it.
1: Was it Hillbilly Eulogy?
0: No, it was. It's because um, that guy converted back to Catholicism. I love his story, JD Vance. Nah, I don't remember. Oh, but it just it like you know, just this whole idea of. Um, I just I don't know if a, like I don't know what else to do besides blow the whole thing up. And that's the, I guess that's what scares me yeah. is I see the thing blowing up right now. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it's already happened. And this is just the fallout.
1: This is the aftermath.
0: Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't I don't um know if this is and I don't mean like I don't mean that Black Lives Matter is like killing the West at all. I'm not saying I don't think that's true at all. Um I'm saying this whole, which has been around for a long, long time. It's just coming out along with all this stuff. This whole, like, anger at the West. And I'm like, and I'm just wondering, like, maybe this, like, does this need to end? And what does that look like? And it scares me. It really, really scares me. This makes no sense, what I'm saying, does the
1: The end of After Virtue, Alistair McIntyre says, we'll discover looking... Uh, we'll discover that the barbarians are not at the gate, but they've been ruling us for quite some time.
0: <laughs> like, and, and here's the thing: I think it's so easy to like. I'm not saying that these are not the protests. I'm not, I'm not referring to the, to the, you know the protests here. I'm referring to white supremacy. I'm referring to like um, which was born of the Enlightenment. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, all this stuff, like, like, that's that, like, sometimes some, like, some um, people say, don't exist. I'm like, this is coming out of Protestantism, like, this is like, the whole, like, and the alignment and this stuff, like, and, um, you know, eugenics, like, this all comes out of this whole thing of, like, when we started to, like, reject the church where did you think this was going you know like 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 and i i, I guess oh, what i'm wondering it's like that you know that john paul ii quote that you know oh you shared when we don't try to change and get back to that that people are going to revolt because they know that what they like what is the state of our world right now is wrong and it's always been wrong just because of original sin but we're supposed to try to bring about it like a just society, and if it doesn't exist, people are going to fight back because it's in their nature to fight. Because like because their like um, their uh, um nature is revolting because they know that this is wrong, and that's what's happening. I think like we know that all of this is wrong. The way that everything is is I'm turning into the Matrix. Like this is all wrong and false. <laughs> You are right to get your steak and be plugged back into the matrix.
1: It's too hard dealing with reality (laughs) as reality. Oh, Luke, this is why man must reconcile himself to his natural grace. Greatness. Every man. Carnivore diet.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. JP two carnivore diet extraordinaire.
0: But I just, you know, I just like, I think a lot about all the people in Idaho who I love i love them so much like they don't e- they don't even know how much i love them and i see what they post on facebook and i'm like oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like but you don't exist in the real world you exist in a wonderful place called idaho <laughs> where none of these problems kind of actually it's not true they they have like um, tons of problems but it just you know it it like i just uh, repent and believe in the gospel when we really need to understand what that means.